Hey, do you like movies? You do? Then I bet you're already very familiar with our friends over at Vinegar Syndrome. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the leading exploitation and grindhouse preservation and distribution companies in the world. The company was started by cinephiles Joe Rubin and Ryan Emerson and was said to be, quote, perhaps the most important home video label in the world of genre film by the Alamo Draft House. Holy shit, that is one hell of an endorsement. A big part of that is because of a three-step process I lovingly refer to as the three R's. Recover, restore, and release. Vinegar Syndrome has an expansive film archive of over 500 feature films, and they also work closely with archival institutions like the Museum of Modern Art, the Academy, yeah, MoMA, the Academy Film Archive, the Library of Congress, UCLA, and the Walker Center. I can't even count how many of their releases have either never gotten a physical release or haven't been seen since the days of VHS. Many of these films look better than they have any right to look. My favorite thing about Vinegar Syndrome is that they have their own in-house lab, which they use to restore these films to all of their glory. I can honestly say that I have never seen any grain reduction or digital trickery on their discs. Vinegar Syndrome was one of our first sponsors, and I'm overjoyed to say that they've stuck with us for five years. I'm still surprised we stuck around for five years, to be completely honest with you. uh, That we've stuck with each other. Yeah, I know. I really thought we'd be done after the first couple months in the first season. We're still keeping, baby! Yeah, we are. So check out their website today to pick up your copies of the Forgotten Jolly Collections 1, 2, and 3. Though one might be out of print, so if you see it, make sure you grab it. Satan's Blood. Fade to Black, a VHS favorite amongst a lot of cinephiles that was uh, unable to be released for a very long time. Taxi Girls, Don Coscarelli's Beastmaster, an HBO late night favorite. The 3D film Silent Madness. And the weirdo French Christmas horror film Dial Code Santa Claus, a.k.a. Deadly Game, and many, many more. Visit them today at VinegarSyndrome.com and let them know that the Shameless Picture Show sent you. That's right, VinegarSyndrome.com for all the cult, horror, exploitation, and vintage porn you could ever want. However much that may be. Yeah, exactly. Are you cool with this going live to the world? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. I'm about to say, you like any excuse to get your name out there. Yeah, <laughs> like going live is always is always a good time. So yeah, All right, I'm, so I'm let's do that, that and, and then we'll have the out. really awkward tradition of everyone but Nick going to their socials and trying to share it. <laughs> <laughs> it's awkward for you guys. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Well, that means you. it's awkward for you because then you have to fill in more time. I'm an attention whore. You know that I love that. It's true. So do you guys want to do a quick little what we're watching before we talk about the movie or after? I'm down for either. If you want Nick, to do that now, question that's fine. Let's do, towards you. Let's do it now. Let's do it. All right. Austin, since you are the guest, you can kick us off. Just tell us a couple things that you've been watching oh, that you've man. been into. What have I been watching? So, you know, I'm, I'm doing my 31 days of Halloween or 31 days of horror or what have you. And it's all Scream Factory titles that I ha- like. I might I might have bought them and seen them, but I haven't watched this specific copy. So I've been watching a lot of cool shit over the entire month. Uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers is which one? 
the remake from 79? Oh, Donald Sutherland? Yeah. Was that Jeff Goldblum? Too? Yeah, young Jeff yeah. Goldblum. Like, right. super, super, like, this is pre-Fly, you know? This like, is, like, eight years So young that he hasn't really figured out how to be Jeff Goldblum. Right, yeah. It was very interesting <laughs> to see him in such an early role, because the earliest thing I had seen him in, I think, was The Fly, and that's, like, 86, I believe. Oh, let's um, look it up. I want to curious what the first thing I saw, what, what, what the earliest thing I've seen. Yeah, I like, all, yeah, I'd love to know. I, I, I feel, I feel like for a lot of us, Jurassic Park was the first thing that we've seen. But what was the? Earliest? I was going to say, yeah, that's probably the first thing I saw him in was uh, Lost World. I, I actually think Invasion of the Body Snatchers is the first thing I've seen Jeff Goldblum in. Okay, yeah, and that dude, and that was the fr- I'd watched that for the first time this watch, and I was like, yeah. that is one of the greatest movies that has ever been made. <laughs> um, I love it. So it's, it became like an instant hit with me. Uh, I rewatched Prince of Darkness uh, recently, which is an all time favorite of mine. Um, then I redid all the Paranormal Activities because I'm a huge sucker for found footage. And then I also watched The Blob for the first time, the uh, '80s remake, okay. another oh. just masterpiece of a movie. Holy cow! <laughs> So this has been a great month just for rewatching favorites, but also exploring new things that I haven't seen and have absolutely loved. So I've been in heaven this 31 days nice. of horror. Yeah, it's been it's been a great month. Um, and then last night we had a party where we watched Trick or Treat, uh, Trick or Treat, and then yeah. You're Next. So that was a great double feature. Oh, I love dude, Your Next is incredible. That that movie I feel is very slept on, and uh, it's got my favorite final girl of all time, and it sucks because she doesn't really. She's got like fifteen credits, you know. It's like I would love to see her do more things, but I guess I don't know, you know. She just doesn't. That, that movie hit me just at the real quick. I did take a look, and I feel like the earliest thing I've if I don't know how big of a role he had in it, but the earliest thing I saw Jeff Goldblum was was probably Annie Hall. Um, oh, when was 1970s, that from? Nineteen seventy-seven. Okay, so that was a year before, and yeah, yeah. body snatches. Uh, wow. Okay, yeah. Your next came out in just the right time, where like um, I just say, like all these like interesting horror films were coming out, and was kind of changing the landscape because it was also right around that time that I feel like the first con- it was a, within that around that time period the first Conjuring came out, and, and yeah, the that first was Insidious came out, and yeah, I just I feel like we the the indies the like the the indie filmmakers were finally starting to get just a little bit of money, and were starting to make some cool shit yeah because that was uh adam wingard who directed your next and ty west was also a little uh character in there and then you had aj bowen who's another like guy that works i love that little indie group ty west david bruckner uh aj bowen like i love all those guys they're all so well they're so talented and they do uh vhs a couple segments here and there as well which, uh, by the way, there's an if you're a fan of those movies, another one just dropped, uh, VHS 99, like two days ago. Yeah, I got to check so, that out. Yeah, I got to oh. check that out with that one out. And to answer Amanda's question, because she asked how I saw Annie Hall before Jurassic Park. It wasn't before Jurassic Park. We're talking about the earliest movie we've seen him in, not the first movie yeah, we've seen him role, in. Yeah, earliest role. Earliest role, So, yeah. like, what is the youngest uh, that we've seen Jeff Goldblum yeah. in? I, I actually was answering in the way Amanda interpreted it, because I did see... Invasion of the Body Snatchers before Jurassic Park, but that's because I'm old as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) I think I might have had that Invasion of the Body Snatchers on video disc. Video disc. Okay. All right. It was. uh, So one of my first jobs was um, working donations at Goodwill. So whenever anything cool would come through, 
like I'd put it on the floor and then on my lunch break I'd go buy it. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's how I got the video disc player and I had like um one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Okay. Uh I think some Masters of the Universe episodes. Nice. Um Amanda thinks so saying that's fair to Nick's that's, age. That's is, is that's funny. fair. <laughs> <laughs> In quotations, I like that. <laughs> so, so Austin, you've been watching a lot of Scream Factory stuff, doing oh, your, yeah. your 31 Days of Halloween. I have never successfully done a 31 Days of Halloween. I just... I just uh, I, I'm usually I usually watch a movie every night. It's just hard to commit to a theme for me, so I've never yeah. successfully done it. And I thought in the past, like, well, what if I like? Because there's a lot of competitions out there to kind of help you choose what to watch. I just. I don't like the pressure of feeling like I have to do something. Yeah, because the second so I have to do what something, to do, that's yeah. totally fair. I'm like three days behind because we were busy. we had a concert Friday, then a party yesterday, and so now you got to like, catch, catch up. Boy. Yeah, now I got to catch up. So. And he's doing this show where he could be watching a fucking movie. No, I'd rather I'd rather be talking <laughs> movies. I got plenty of time to watch movies. <laughs> well, funny enough, I have watched a couple horror films. I'll just run through them pretty quickly. Yes. Uh, so um, uh, I just recently watched from 1937, The Night Key with oh, Boris Karloff and that one was fun because he's like this aging inventor who's starting to lose his eyesight who makes like these these really interesting like security systems and one of his old partners in, in um uh in business who fucked him over it, it was like hey I've changed come sell your idea to me and it turns out he hasn't changed at all so then what Boris Karloff does he kind of becomes like a criminal mastermind and starts using his inventions to like break open like these other security systems Whoa. and start stealing it's it's very much like a fucking spider-man like villain origin story because anytime he does something he he always like writes on the wall what i've created i can destroy and he signs it the night key i'm like oh fuck that's like a spider-man origin story oh for God. villain that's 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 like pretty uh deep for like 1930 that's, that's a very intricate plot honestly that sounds awesome I'll get you list. next time, Nike. <laughs> Pretty much. And then um, uh, we watch. Uh, me and my buddy Ryan, who's 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 one of my filmmaking partners, we watched this very obscure shot on video movie called In the Dark. It is so obscure; it has never been released. It was oh. never on VHS. It was never on DVD. The only way you can see it is a very poorly uploaded version to YouTube. <laughs> Um, oh, it's just like my movie. Well, that, that that had a DVD release. I have a copy of it. It's on my shelf. It's signed, made, but only because I made it in my office. <laughs> well, still it counts. Um, but what's what's interesting about this film is like a lot of times these shot on video movies are just like low rent horror films, uh, and this one just kind of feels like a truly like. So this was 2000, so it still has that like 90s independent feel to it of this librarian who um, she finds a note at the library she works at. Um, pretty much, it's, it's 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 sending her on like a wild goose chase. It's like, oh, find this book, and 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 she finds the book, and inside is an envelope for 50 bucks, with then another note that tells her to go do go meet somewhere else. And if she goes there, there'll be double the amount of money. And every time she goes and does something, there's then double the amount of money. But as it goes on, the things start progressively getting stranger and stranger and okay. more intense as they went on. And, like, you know, this movie was shot on, like, I imagine mini DV. It looks, watching it on YouTube, it looks like there's just, like, like a filter over it to like clean it up, but then everyone looks kind of waxy and weird. But the entire time I'm sitting there fucking and like 
invested in this fucking movie. What's it called again? I missed it. It's the name. called In the Dark. It's from the, two, the year 2000 by Clifton Holmes. Okay. Um, it's it's based on a, a book from a, a from I think his name is Richard Layman. Richard Layman, the writer who wrote the book, this is based on love the movie. The director hates it, which is probably part of the reason it never got a release. <laughs> but you can find it in its entirety for release right now on YouTube. And then like, I, I've, uh, just to try to get myself into the spirit of spooky season, like I, I've watched a Vincent Price film. We watched Poltergeist last night. I, watched, I also watched Cul-de-Sac, the Roman Polanski film yesterday. And then, you know, they live. Nice. Oh, and then we started that new Mike Flanagan show on Netflix. Oh, Midnight oh, yeah. Club. Midnight Club. We're only it's two episodes in. But, that's uh, where we're at. Yeah, it's a little but different than I've intrigued. Right? I've yeah. intrigued. I like the I, I like the uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark yes! style yeah. setup for yes. where the creepiness is still happening to the storytellers. It's, right. It's smart. And like, I'm just I'm waiting for like someone to have, like, a handful too. of, like, glitter dust or whatever. I'm like, Chah. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah that so was, uh, I, i've been good. into that sh- i've been uh we, we've been into it and uh but like honestly like i like that mike flanagan kind of keeps reinventing himself a little bit and just changing things up and yeah i also yeah. love in that have you seen any of it yet austin midnight club yeah yeah i watched i think we're on episode like four or five i love yeah. that in the first episode when they're when they're first telling the stories and they have that one girl who's telling just like this the story that's nothing but jump scares and they're like yeah. stop being so oh cheap and that was great because <laughs> i a lot of a lot of people who are like who don't like Mike Flanagan online joke that oh he's nothing but jump scares and I feel like that was him kind of making fun yeah. of himself oh, commenting on his reputation hundred percent and I was they actually like oh. set a record for um, like the amount of jump scares in a single episode <laughs> yeah. it was like thirty seven I was like yes. and I was like that doesn't sound like Mike Flanagan why would he do that and then I watched it and I was like oh he's making fun I got yeah. it yeah got he's it. making got fun it. of the people who make fun of him who don't yeah. get what he's doing because <laughs> he's not he, uh, yeah, my he favorite might... one is like you can't. Did you just black cat us? You can't. That has yeah. to be at the beginning of a scene, not the end. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. It's a little different, but like I, I'm, I'm enjoying it because uh, you know it's just like all his other hauntings, like Haunting of Hill House was super spooky. Haunting of Bly Manor was like a beautiful love story, and Moody, this is just like yeah. another different. Oh, and the Midnight, Midnight Society is oh, not Midnight Society. Um, the Midnight Mass is probably my favorite one. Oh, that he's dude! Done. I also so love good. that he's doing like repetitious titles. He's got House of, House of, and then Midnight, Midnight. Midnight. Oh, yeah, yeah he does. That's right, yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's killing it with the Netflix partnership that they have, and they yeah. need to keep doing that because he's, he's, so, he's like one of my favorite like modern directors. He's just so good. Same. Yeah. All right, Nick, so your turn. What, are you, what have you been watching? And then we'll get on to the topic itself. Uh, outside of stuff I'm watching for the podcast, I've been doing a lot of rewatches lately. Um uh, most notably uh, SLC Punk, which is one of my favorites, and my wife had never seen it, so it was important to me that she understands when I'm referencing the movie. <laughs> so, so I got her caught up on that. Um, but the the new watch that I did recently that oh, well, two of them uh, that I really loved was Lars and the Real Girl um, and 1922. Mm. Um, for for my Halloween submission, 1922 was based on a Stephen King novella. I oh, think. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't remember if I've seen that one. Letterbox said you had. Okay. Oh, <laughs> I remember this one. Yes, it's set in like oh, like uh, it's set a little while in the past, like in the past, uh, right? In I, I had 1922. Okay, I had, then, duh. <laughs> I had seen that one in. in I'm going to see myself gra- out. <laughs> I had seen that one in the tall grass right around the same time, and I think I was getting them a little like. 
mixed up. Yeah. yeah. What I really loved about 1922 is how how much they involved the audience in the process of him killing his wife. Um, so we didn't just like. Don't you just love that? T- typically, <laughs> they'll be like, "All right, we're gonna plan to to kill." this person and then they cut to like just before and then they'll stab the knife in once and then they cut away to the aftermath whereas this one they were like they showed all of the planning and the the full execution they where any other film would cut away they kept staying with it so oh. that you had to be like implicit as a viewer <laughs> oh, uh, and then you had to stay with them as they fully disposed of the body and it wasn't just a shot of them throwing it into a well or something like you you stayed with him through that entire time, and there was this great sequence where he's looking down at the body. And again, like normally, that would be like a they show it and the music swells and then they cut away. But like he kept like looking back and then looking down, and then looking down again, and they kept making the audience oh like God. stay with him in that moment. So that yeah. everything that happened after that, you were like, holy sh! Like it's a film about living with guilt. Mm, and yeah. it made the back half of the film so much more effective because of how they presented the the actual act of executing this plan. So is that is the is like executing a plan like in, in like the first act? Yeah. Oh yeah. wow. Okay. Interesting. So the the film is really about how everything fall, he's the reason why he's killing his wife is because she wants to leave and take half of his land. Uh, that he feels entitled to and uh, but he convinces the son to stay with and help him with this murder so that they could have the land and have the life and have the father-son relationship and everything that he wants and all of that falls apart in the back half of the film and it's so so beautifully i remember yeah now that you're telling me or telling me about it's like fuck i do remember this movie and i remember this thinking this movie was really fucking good so yeah I think you had a four star rating. That on, sounds about right. And, and I, I, I have, I have, I sometimes have a pretty liberal uh, rating system when it comes to Stephen King's adaptations. Because weirdly enough, like I've read a couple of his books and his stories. I have, I, I think I like the adaptations of his stories sometimes better <laughs> than the stories themselves. Because I feel like sometimes when you're when you have to cut it down to a specific time length, you can kind of cut through some of the bullshit and yeah. just get to yeah. the heart of it. Especially with King, he does tend to over-explain some things sometimes. Well, that's <laughs> a little the cocaine. Bit. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's all those books he was writing when he was jacked up on drugs. So, Isn't one of, I want to say Cujo or one of them he doesn't even remember writing. I feel like that, it was I mean, that's Shining, but maybe... The, yeah. <laughs> I don't, it was definitely one of those sense. where he's like, yeah. I don't remember this. He has no recollection of writing it whatsoever. <laughs> oh I imagine he's like sitting there in a royalty check came in and he's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> This huge novel. I don't even know how I did this. Uh, and Must then have blacked a, out. A, a fun Wait, little Stephen King. That's me. <laughs> a fun little connective tissue. So I talked about watching some Vincent Price films. Specifically, I watched Pit and the Pendulum, which was part of his Edgar Allan Poe cycle he did with Roger Corman. Yeah. And uh, list, uh, one of our listeners had mentioned that Mike Flanagan is doing Edgar Allan Poe stuff for Netflix next. Oh, that's And I think he's right. actually doing House of the, uh, Fall of the House of Usher. Yes. Uh, is that is that not Poe? Is Fall of the House of Usher not Poe? I thought that, it was. That's yeah. that's Poe. Okay, yeah. So yeah, that's, and that's then, another uh, thing but he's doing. I wanted to mention that mainly just because we got onto the topic um, before we get to the topic that there. I actually a couple years ago from uh, uh, Arrow Video saw a really interesting um, like indie film 
it's a loose adaptation of the, the fall of the house of usher called the bloodhound oh that okay. i highly that i highly recommend it take it kind of boils down the essence of of like what that story is about and takes all these gothic influences but makes it about two like yuppie teens set now it's really interesting nice. okay it's yeah. a weird movie i will fully just say it's a weird fucking movie but uh it's one of those things like i watched it and I'm like what the fuck was that but then i've not stopped thinking about it oh uh, yeah and then like i was okay. even going through like my dvds pairing things down I'm like oh, i'm never gonna watch this again and then i got to the bloodhound i'm like you know put that back on the show because <laughs> <laughs> i'm still thinking about that fucking movie bloodhound is it from uh 2017 yep Okay, I'm gonna if I, if I can find it somehow. Yeah, so that, I, that one I recommend. Um, Very nice. Like I said, it's weird, and you might want you might consider taking it off the shelf, but then I think you'll end up putting it back. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I like those movies. All right. Was there anything else you guys want to talk about before we got on to the topic at hand? Let's do it. Let's All do right. It, yeah. All right. Let me um let me introduce the show. Gonna take a sip of water for the working man. <laughs> Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. I'm just playing They Live in the background. <laughs> it's right over here. <laughs> You're just watching the movie in the background. Yeah, I just got to play. I watched it last night, but I'm like, oh, I'll just keep it. I'll just keep yeah, it playing in the background. You can just reference it. things as they come yeah. up. Yeah. Hey, you guys yeah. remember this part? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers, and with me, as always, is a man who looks like his head fell in the cheese dip back in 1957. <laughs> Nick Richards. Touche, sir. <laughs> And then uh, I, I, I made I, I chose that one because I needed one for Austin as well. So I kind oh. Of, oh, but also on our show is a good friend of mine, a frequent collaborator on this show, and he's a guy who I'd gladly have a six-minute fight scene with. He's also the host of the Frightmares <laughs> podcast. Austin Proctor, hello, hello. Good to be here again, as always. Yeah, because I came up with the fight scene one first, and I was like, why do you have to have a second one? And I decided to just flip them around. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So, as you all probably know, by now, our little podcast that could is officially part of a bigger entity. The Cinepunks Network is where we hang our hat at night after a long day on the dusty trail that is watching movies. One tradition they have here at Cinepunks is Cineween, uh, which is their big Halloween spectacular. It's our chance, as Cinepunks ourselves, to celebrate spooky season. While our movie today may not be spooky per se, it does have a chilling look into the world, and it's made by a bona fide horror legend. Today, we're discussing John Carpenter's They Live. Rowdy Roddy Piper is a man wandering aimlessly. He's got no home, no money, and no name. He's essentially the hero of a western, and he's just moseyed into town. While seeking employment at a construction company, our hero meets Frank. Frank is a good guy who moved out to California to make money to send home to his wife and kids out in Detroit after the plant closed. These two find kinship in that they're both trying to create a better life for themselves. Their biggest difference? Frank isn't nearly as idealistic as our hero who still believes in America. While Frank, 
However, Frank is right. Rowdy Roddy Piper, credited in the film as Nada, stumbles upon an underground resistance group of freedom fighters who are set out to uncover them, a mysterious group that are in control of the world. Using a pair of specially modified sunglasses, Nada is now able to see the world for what it really is, a capitalistic wasteland where we're expected to spend money, reproduce, and keep our eyes close to the evil underbelly of America. We're not sleeping anymore. Our eyes are open and the rose-tinted glasses have been replaced by darkened shades that reveal everything. Carpenter has always been a political filmmaker, <clears throat> and much like his horror contemporaries, prided himself in the, in the subtext underneath his work. Carpenter viewed horror, sorry, Carpenter viewed horror writer H.P. Lovecraft as an influence because Lovecraft liked to write about the underneath. What, sorry, what was underneath the world. And these themes are specifically, are, sorry, are definitely apparent in They Live. It's a Lovecraftian tale about Reaganomics. Carpenter has always been a master of making his inexpensive movies feel huge. They Live was made for a measly $3 million, but made $13 million at the box office. And while the film fared pretty well, critics back in 1988, its popularity has grown to the point where it's got an 85% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes and a 79% audience score. It's also a film that has aged incredibly well, where it feels more relevant today than ever. In a world where being woke is used as a derogatory term, Carpenter was trying to open people's eyes back in 1988. They Live was based on the Ray Nelson short story, 8 O'Clock in the Morning, and the screenplay was written by John Carpenter under the pseudonym Frank Armitage, which I actually think is Keith David's character in the movie. In the movie. Yeah. Carpenter, being a jack-of-all-trades and an auteuristic filmmaker, composed the score along with his frequent collaborator, Alan Howarth, and the film was lensed by Gary B. Kibbe. They Live stars WWE Hall of Famer Rowdy Roddy Piper, Rowdy. Keith David, Meg Foster, George Buckflower... And sorry, and George Buckflower as the Drifter, directed by John Carpenter from 1988. This is they live, they laugh, they love, they reproduce. Let's get the trailer going. Masters, <laughs> what do these things want, and why are they here? You still don't get it, do you, boy? They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you, all around you. Blinded us to the truth! Take a look. They are safe as long as they are not discovered. I don't know what they are or where they came from, but we gotta stop them. Stay away from me. Put these on. They have us. Look at them. They're everywhere. Our owner. We have no other choice. I don't like this one bit. Leave it alone, man. It ain't none of my business. Ain't none of yours. We have been lulled into a trance. Listen to what I'm saying to you. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. Control! You're sending some kind of signals on TV sets. I've got one that can see. Mama don't like tattletale. Now we start spilling some blood. Let's go! Push I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick And I'm all out of bubblegum. trailer because <laughs> like it does a it does a good job of like giving you what the film's about but at the same time it doesn't 
Yeah, because like, give you much. And, and, and I'm not even talking about like it. Kind of like gives you like the you know the conspiracy theory side of it, but like the it, the trailer definitely makes it look like a Terminator ripoff, which is not a bad right. thing necessarily. Uh, but it does not like. I don't know. As I watch Day Live, and we could talk about this more in depth, I really viewed this movie as a comedy. <laughs> oh yeah, and while that trailer made it look more straight action, film. I, yeah, I I actually had a very different take on like uh, how I would describe the genre. I thought it was a '50s sci-fi film wrapped in a summer blockbuster action comedy. Okay. Yeah, no, like that trailer. Well, I definitely get that. And that is the movie that you would cast Rowdy Roddy Piper in. Oh, However, yeah. that trailer made it feel like it should have starred Chuck Norris. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I mean, at the time, was I mean, was was he, I don't I don't know really the history on Roddy Piper that much, but was he established as like a wrestler back then? I really yes, I'm not yes, sure. So the, uh, okay, I wasn't story, sure when that started. Story. And... Well, Rowdy Roddy Piper had been wrestling since like. Since he was like 16 years old, okay. that's how he made money for his family. Okay, I wasn't sure um, the exact. John story Carpenter on that. met Rowdy Piper around the time of WrestleMania three. Okay. Um, and funny enough, so I was, I just wanted to throw this out because I don't know how often I get to talk about wrestling on this thing. I love that <laughs> I was watching one of the features on the Scream Factory disc where they. It was a very weird featurette because it was like the sights and sounds and choreography of They Live. It, it just feels like it was like little bits of pieces of interviews they couldn't fit somewhere else, so they put them all together. <laughs> nice and uh, miscellaneous. Yeah, they were talking with one of the stunt guys who had to com- who had to put together that six minute fight scene and uh they said john carpenter pretty much had one ask he's like you can do whatever you want with this fight scene but there's three specific wrestling moves i want in that fight scene and i was like wait is john carpenter a wrestling fan like because like he came in with three specific wrestling moves he wanted to see in it and like i know i like replaying the fight scene in my head i know what two he, of those three asks yeah were. and it's like because like i was going to turn into amanda's like that's a wrestling move that's yep. right why is there a gut a gut wrench suplex <laughs> So I just found that really like that was his specifics. Like I want three wrestling moves, at least three wrestling moves in this. And That's like awesome. you know the 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 effects guy, the the choreographer had to said he like um, Roddy Piper was a little worried that his you know because wrestling and everything that he was um, gonna have a hard time like toning it down a little bit. Um, but they said he he had it because of for wrestling. He said he had an innate ability to make things look like he was really beating the shit out of people without yeah. t- touching them. That um, was like for obvious reasons. That was his best performance in the film. Yeah, so they they had to bring him, they had to bring him down a little bit. And Keith David had experienced boxing, so they had to make which is a lot more subtle. So they had to like no, you got to like really swing those punches, and they had to bring him up. That's <laughs> so great. I found that funny, but uh, uh, so this was a. First time watch for Nick and myself, um, and since I'm the one kind of hosting this bitch, I'm in control of who, who talks first. <gasps> How dare you. All right, so I'm going to make Nick talk first. Nick, okay. <laughs> what did you think of They Live? I, uh, I'll, I'll uh, let everybody else know what I told Michael before we started recording. I was pretty high when I watched this last night. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm going over my notes to kind of uh, revive it all, but uh, I did kind of love it. There was like it's silly in a way that I thought would that I would not enjoy it. 
I had no idea what to expect. My the expectations I did have were very quickly like, nope, this isn't that movie. <laughs> um, so it kind of allowed me to get like to cleanse my palate of expectations early on, and um, I typically don't have as strong of a positive reaction to corny performances and 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 there's certainly a level of corniness to parts of this film but it won me over you're being so mean to meg foster (laughs) it won me over so hard so many times that uh it i loved it i just i just loved it (laughs) so for me it's a movie that i kind of feel like it was one of those things that like I had an idea of what I thought this movie was going to be about, and it was simultaneously I was right and I was wrong at the same time. Like I guess I didn't. I I, I guess for whatever reason I was not expecting this to be as much of an action film as it was, and and that, so that was fun. I just thought it was going to be a lot more heavy handed than it, I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting, and I don't know why I didn't expect it to be because it it. It's paced like an it's paced like a western. Let's be real, and I should not be surprised with John Carpenter's influences. But only thing I knew about this film going into like before I ever saw it was it's like oh it's his most political film, and I was like, do I want to watch John Carpenter doing a political thriller? <laughs> and it, I didn't get a political thriller. I got a political fucking action. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so and at the at the end, I thought to myself. Uh, though, though I have not watched all of Carpenter's catalog, I know his stuff pretty well, and all of my expectations going into it were not based on the fact that it was made by John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. And then when I was done watching it, I went, "Oh fuck, yeah, no, that was a John Carpenter film." Yeah, yeah. Like he finds oh, yeah. a way to just make things very uniquely his, and I kind of felt the same way. Where I was like, I, you know, some pacing issues aside and things like that, just you know, general qualms. I found myself kind of loving it too. The more it went on, and um, you know, from his really like, and I say this with love, his linear kind of bluesy score that he had throughout it, just kind of playing, and how it's just like. There's not a lot of talking in this movie. It's just like a lot of like, yeah. you know, it very much felt like an episode of The Incredible Hulk, where it's just like Rowdy Roddy Piper's just come into town to 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 do good and <laughs> shit just kind of goes Happens. crazy. Um, I wasn't like, and I knew there was going to be some sort of like science fiction element to it. I just wasn't expecting to the level or degree that we did because I just thought they were going to be creatures, not necessarily like fucking aliens <laughs> um and like and i found a charm to rowdy rowdy piper's performance because like objectively it's not a very good performance right but it's also really not bad it he kind of again he wins you over yeah because he's so charming and you know he's got that weird accent because he's 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 a uh, his entire career, he's been kind of playing a Scottish guy, but he's actually from Canada, so you right. can't quite place what his accent is. Um, I also think his hair negatively impacted my perception of his performance. I couldn't stop looking at his hair. It's a beautiful haircut. I was going to say, it's a, it's a luscious mane I hair. wish I had that kind of hair. Right? God damn. It's, so, it's perfect. That 80s hair matters. That's Rowdy Nothing Roddy like Piper so chic. feathered. Yeah. It's and so yet funny. he was still he, he had hair that feathered and he was no one ever questioned whether or not he was a badass. <laughs> but what I also liked about him, he also has like this John Wayne quality to him. Meaning, you know, not in terms of you know, hello partner, that performance and shit, <laughs> yeah. which Kurt Russell does a really good impression of. Uh, he he felt like John Wayne in that John Wayne 
on the screen was a larger than life persona wrapped in an everyman. Yeah. Jo- Rowdy, Rowdy, I got some Clint Eastwood vibes. Yeah, that and Clint Eastwood reason. had that as well. Yeah. But like, you know, Rowdy Roddy Piper walks into frame and he's not a big hulking wrestler like a lot of his contemporaries were. He's not the Jesse Venturas or the Hulk Hogan. He looks like he has a very obtainable frame. Um, <laughs> but yeah, looks, he, he just looked built, you know. Yeah, he's he looks like, like he's a man solid. who's working hard his entire life, but he's not yeah. like fucking, you know eat your vegetables and do your steroids Hulk Hogan <laughs> shit you know like he, oh yeah brother he feels oh, like yeah. he has an obtainable <laughs> physique it's just of a man who's been working hard his entire life but then he's got like this larger than life persona that just makes him very enjoyable to watch yeah. you know and then um, while Roddy Piper had been in a quite a few movies he hadn't done I don't think he had done another movie on this level but the I'd say the next biggest movie he did is a movie called Hell Comes to Frogtown which is the greatest <laughs> title of all fucking time <laughs> and um, more literal than you would think yeah well it's for two reasons one yeah because his name is sam hell so hell is literally coming to Frogtown. but then he with him he's bringing hell um, <laughs> and he's very similar to that like he's just a very likable guy yeah, it's funny because you used the word charming earlier to describe him, and that's literally what I had in my head before coming on the air today. I was like, this movie just has such a charm to it, and yeah. it's just like you said, he just wins you over throughout the movie because well, it's not the greatest performance, but <laughs> it's so charming. Even that that iconic uh, line delivery of, I've come here to chew, to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. <laughs> he doesn't even deliver that in a way that, like... He's not is really aesthetically pleasing, <laughs> but he but, makes it work. <laughs> right. It's right. like, oh, shit. There's, I also like with a lot of those line deliveries, I liked that his character doesn't bust in to deliver that line like a lot of action stars would. He, he walks in and then realizes <laughs> that like, oh, shit. I'm walking into a bank with a gun. What are these people going to think? But then you see his view of like, oh, but there is still danger. So then he chooses to lean into it. Yeah. Which I think goes back to like why his character is so pleasing because he doesn't become this action star badass out of like machismo it's out of necessity yeah he's not like he's not looking to go around and just blow people away it becomes like a fight or flight type thing and it like his 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 line delivery in that scene feels very much like i'm a little scared but i feel like i should say something right and that's just the first fucking thing to come to mind (laughs) so austin what do you think about the movie uh, so this is one, uh, obviously it's a, it's a huge favorite of mine. Uh, once I got the 4k, I think I've watched that 4k from shop factory a few times, but this is one that I had seen ages ago. And you know, when I was younger, I didn't really understand the political message. I didn't understand the, like the subtext or whatever you want to call it. It's not even subtext. It's just fucking text. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah I just subtle. didn't really, didn't really get it. I guess I just enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, but yeah. upon watching it more and more, it's like such a good political message. Um, I love the team up of Keith David and Rowdy yes. Rowdy Piper. It's such an unlikely duo that just works a hundred percent for me. Yeah, but it's just uh, it's just a great movie that only it's just aging better with time because, like you said, it's just so relevant today. Probably more relevant than it was when it came out, and it's just it's just a classic that I enjoy watching over and over again. So this, like I said, this is one of my favorites. So I'm a huge fan of this movie for just so many reasons, you know. Yeah. To to expand mm-hmm. on what you said about that team up, I actually think that Roddy Piper's performance 
was improved by Keith David's performance. A lot of times when you have a superior actor teamed up with you, it makes the weaker performance seem much worse. But I think Keith David's performance was so good in a way that was like he lifted Roddy Piper up. Yeah, well, complimented him. And I, I yes. think because of 100%. it, is Rowdy Roddy Piper, I think, has really good instincts. Yeah. And yep. while he wasn't an actor, wasn't he? He doesn't good. have the training necessarily, but he has the instincts right. that allowed him to excel when given the the tool of Keith David's incredible performance. Exactly. Yeah. Cuz like, you know, just inherently through being a professional wrestler, he you know, there is a level of acting that has to be done and taking cues and stuff like that. Yeah, so know? I think he just has really good instincts and I think it also shows why well, don't get me wrong, some have been very poor at it. Well, I think <laughs> quite a few pro wrestlers have transitioned so well into acting is I, because I they hope, have a lot of that. I hope Santa with muscles you're putting in the really successful performance category. <laughs> you see, kids? It pays to be nice. Anybody want to help Santa clean up? You got Santa with muscles. You've got you've got uh, Mr. Nanny. You have Suburban Commando. Hulk Hogan is a tour de force of acting ability. <laughs> oh man, uh, such a good movie. Also, yeah, this is the second team up with uh, Keith David and John Carpenter because Keith David was also in The, the Thing. Thing back from '82, yeah. which you know he's super young in oh, that. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You don't. I always forget he's in that. And I'm like, oh, that's right. You're like baby and, Keith and, David. And it's he's funny. So like I, I, he, I've seen The Thing so many times. Obviously, more times than I've seen They Live. And like I know Keith David's in that movie, but it just doesn't feel or sound like Keith David. Right. But then in this one, it's like, oh fuck, that's Keith David. There he is. Yeah, immediately. Like, there yeah. it is. It's it, fully it's a, realized. It's amazing what six years difference will do. That's to be six like, oh. years difference. Holy yeah, eighty-two shit. was the thing, and this is eighty-eight, so it's only six years. Yeah. Oh, that goes right back to our conversation about Jeff Goldblum. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like seeing him in um, uh, Body Snatchers, Invasion of the Body Snatchers versus Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah. Or even The Fly. Like he's so much yeah. more. Like in The Fly, he's he's or, uh, Jeff Goldblum uh, uh, in The Fly. Uh, yeah. I'd, he is. Just I'd like there. to think that his performance in the like all of that. What became Jeff Goldblum was just him preparing for his role to play a human-fly hybrid. And he's right. like, you know what? That kind of works for me. I'm going to go ahead that. and write out that personality for the rest of my life. Right. And it works, you know? He, he kills it every uh, time. Uh, 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 totally. You know yeah. what's crazy? I, so I decided to look up John Carpenter's filmography because I was like, oh. it kind of blew my mind that The Thing and They Live were six years apart. I don't know what's more what blows my mind more that fact or the fact that he made four films in between there. Oh <laughs> yeah, he's got Prince of Darkness, Christine, uh, The Thing, They Live, Big Trouble, Little China, Dark Star. I think well, it was all eighties, right? Well, Dark Star was his first film, but he he did a uh, Starman in there as well. Starman, yeah, yeah, yeah so, sorry, yeah. Starman, much, yeah. Like let's just let's just run this through. Like let's he's dominated. Like, like from his first from his first feature film, Dark Star. I'm just gonna run through them in orders because this is just blows my. Like I, I know this man's career super well, but it's just like th- this many films in a row. So you have Dark Star, his first film, is a student film in a lot of ways that he wrote with Dan O'Banion of uh, Return of the Living Dead and Alien fame. Ooh. They went to school together. <laughs> so then you went to Assault on Precinct 13. So good. 
and then did Halloween. And the only reason Donald Pleasant says he did Halloween is because his daughter saw Assault on Precinct 13 and the, liked the music. <laughs> so he did Halloween. Someone's watching me, a TV movie I've not seen yet. He did the Elvis TV movie with Kurt Russell, The Fog, Escape from New York, The Thing, Christine, Starman, Big Trouble in Little China, Prince of Darkness, and then They Live. And he still 13. has stuff after that. 13 wow. movies in like 13 years, I think, I want to say, just about. That's crazy. That run of films is just insane to me. And like, I, not even just the amount, but like every single one of those is a, is a hit. Like, they're all solid right. movies. Every yeah. single one. Crazy. Um, I obviously, having both been done by Carpenter, there are a lot of uh, similarities, but... I see this being of all those films that you listed, they live feels most closest to um, big trouble in little China. Yeah. It kind of has that something about the way that the city is closing in on him. It's also crazy that you mentioned that too, because like I could really see Kurt Russell playing that part. Totally. Yep. Yeah. The hair alone. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah. I kind of wish it would have been, like, they would just would have been a sequel to Big Trouble in Little China. Right. <laughs> Same guy just wandering around. Well, and it's funny that you compare... The you checks know, you compare in the mail. The checks in the mail. Uh, you compare it to Big Trouble in Little China for the story, but it's really interesting because have you guys seen uh, John Carpenter's Vampires from, like, 96? Yep. I have not. The yep. score in that movie is very similar to this okay. movie. It's very kind of western-y. And very, uh, it's very similar. I to like me. vampires, and I think I would have liked it more with a different lead actor. Yeah, yeah, I kind of was on the fence with that one, but uh, that's the score. I mean, there's nothing like a John Carpenter. Yeah, score. I'm just not a huge James Woods guy. Yeah, yeah. I know, right? He's kind of he's kind of he seems like a weird guy to be hunting vampires. <laughs> I, he he was in Videodrome, right? Wasn't James yes, Woods? Yes, yes, he, he was. I did like him in that. Videodrome was great, but yeah, yeah, some things I'm like, I don't know. It's kind of he's kind of yeah. hit or miss for me. Nick, what As were you I was say? thinking about uh, Roddy Piper's performance in They Live, I was playing that same uh, philosophical conversation or hypothetical in my head of would I enjoy this film more with a different actor in his place? And I think hands down, it would have been a better film, but in no one that I put there, would I have liked it more? I think I like the film better with Roddy Piper, though. It makes it a less quality film. Can I ask you a hypothetical, Nick? Yeah. Would you have liked the movie more or less? If Tim Allen would have played the lead part, <laughs> I would have liked it less, and and I don't think it would have made it a better film. <laughs> uh, Austin, that was a holdover from our last episode where okay. me and Nick went. We were talking about Galaxy Quest, and, and I found actually, out Nick has a deep seated dislike for Tim Allen. Uh, a oh com- no, a, a complicated, complicated. Yeah. However, like he does admit. That he can't imagine anyone else playing that part in Galaxy. That yeah. Tim Allen was ap- uh, was appropriately cast. Nick yeah. just doesn't like him. It, it's sim- a similar complication as to the feelings that I would have with William Shatner. Like okay. so, so th- it was kind of a perfect pairing there. And actually, while we're on the topic of Galaxy <laughs> Quest, I wanted to say I also thought about you, Michael, because while watching yeah. They Live. Um, because in that last episode, you asked me if I thought if I thought Galaxy Quest was parody or satire, and I said part parody, but not at all satire. 
Um, so when they were showing the commercials in They Live, yeah, that is satire. Yeah, because they are they are exaggerating something in order to critique it or criticize it. Um, so the uh, They Live has some satire, but it's strongest in those commercials that they're showing. Yeah. Well, let me to ask you guys capitalism. Let me ask you guys a question then. Um, you know, going off of that topic a little bit of the satire they live because it all feels very intentional. Yep. It's very similar to like an episode we will eventually do when we eventually talk about RoboCop. Right. That film drips a fucking satire. Yeah. Oh, man. Let me know when you do that because I've never seen it and I've always. Yeah. Let me know when you do that one. Never seen it. Awesome. Uh, yeah. That'll probably be our next one, so we can get Austin on again. Yeah. Yes. The Proctor double feature. Yeah, Doctor Proctor. Proctor. Yeah, I've I've always wanted to see it. I have the Arrow. I just haven't had time to. That was, sit it down. was on my shameless. So, so I okay. have now ask, seen it, but only in preparation so for. The let episodes. me ask you this, because I feel like there's a there's a version of this movie that someone could have made, um, without the satirical elements to it and maybe just kind of stumbled upon this plot of uh you know putting on glasses see the world for for what it is and because really that element of this film you know you put on these magic glasses and they show you what the world really is really comes down to the viewpoint of the filmmaker because let's be real if someone like you know clint eastwood was making this film especially clint eastwood now those images would be very fucking different (laughs) you know it'd be like all the all the hippies and the liberals will be the monsters and shit you know do you think this film would have stood the test of time or been considered because for for a lot of people this is this is peak carpenter for a lot of people especially i I don't like to call this part of his career late era carpenter but if you think about like all the stuff he's done after this it kind of feels like uh late era carpenter yeah do you think this film would have been what like it would be remembered as fondly without those elements because like in a lot of ways why i like some of the films he's made after this this is in some ways might have been considered like one of the last true big hits he's made what what about yeah. ghost of mars you did you didn't like ghost of mars i love ghost of mars but it it is no they live <laughs> i was gonna say for different reasons we like that one <laughs> uh, so to answer your question the older i get the less comfortable i feel making like how would the world or our our society our nation feel about something because I used to think, oh, the way that I think about things is mostly how everybody else does, and I'm well. Then let me reframe the question. I would not like it nearly as much without the the heavy handed, more political leaning messages of what Roddy Piper's character sees when he puts on the glasses. That was a big, big part of what made me less concerned about the cheesy aspects of it then it kind of all that that was the magic ingredient to making the whole thing work for me i think it's almost like uh some of wes craven's films wes craven is a filmmaker i absolutely love and respect but sometimes his concepts are way too big and heady where i feel like he struggles to get them on screen yeah and i feel like there was a very there was a chance that that could have happened with this film but I feel like by choosing someone like Roddy, Roddy Piper as the lead actor and just some of the choices he made, he found a way to keep it grounded in a yeah. certain – where it doesn't get too fucking big that you can't <laughs> film it anymore. There's 
there's also like think about how little we actually see the villains the the antagonists of this film it feels like they're so unattainable that like you know you see them when you put on the glasses but for the most part they're usually just standing there reading a newspaper or or buying a coffee like we don't see the villain enacting their plan really which is interesting it felt so big and unattainable and on another level that it made those in the know feel so small and insignificant and what can we really do to stop this by not even showing the machinations of the antagonist yeah one thing I, I I kept thinking of throughout this, and as well, I, I I feel like I lean on the side of John Carpenter's worldview in this. I will say I couldn't help but think it's like okay, theoretically, to everyone else, not not including not, not the 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 villains of this film, but just for the normal people in this, Rowdy Roddy Piper's character probably just looks like a serial shooter. Oh, to- like I thought. He's, about here's that. a guy who's just like I have to rid the world of this evil element, and he's just fucking going into places. If, and just, if you don't see it, like he is the villain. It's it's a it's if you cut out all of those like sunglass shots, mm-hmm. this movie is fucking frightening. Yeah. Oh yeah. If you think about it, yeah, it's, that would be a completely different movie. Right? I, I kind of yeah. want to make a supercut and just see how how ugly this movie is without any of <laughs> that. Bad. Just Actually, come, here comes a guy into town, wants to get a job, can't seem to hold down work, and just ends up shooting rich people. Yeah, because all you see is the setup for, because, you know, you see people going into the church, and he starts to go into the church and see the tape recorders, but then if you don't see him put on, or even find the glasses, oh yeah, totally different movie. He just sees something that only he can see, that the audience can't, and he doesn't like it, and he wants to cleanse the city of this frightening perspective of this film. (laughs) You you could even show a lot, you could show the glasses, you could show him putting on and off the glasses, you could see his reaction, you could even see the signs, if all you do is take out any shot with the creature in yeah, there. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. It, That's it even better. It would not even take much. Um, no. so, that would be such an interesting cut. Oh, man, that would change the tone like, <laughs> uh, yeah. in the complete opposite way. It really fucking would. <laughs> I, I wrote wow. that they walked a really fine line between those in the know sounding crazy and paranoid without them becoming unsympathetic. Because mm-hmm. when he's first, when you first see that the... the TV show interference and you see the guy close up to the camera saying, you know, they're on to us. They're on the street preacher. Like they all are quote unquote crazy. Right. Right. Yeah. But as soon as you're the audience is in the know of what's happening, you're like, yep, I believe in the conspiracy. Right. Like you're you're in QAnon all of a sudden and then you know what's crazy and what isn't and at a time when conspiracy theories and and false information is so prevalent like that's (laughs) i wouldn't say that this is the yep the conspiracy is real like that's not the 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 takeaway we should take from this film um but it is a really interesting time for me to watch this film for the first time yeah yeah oh for sure Yeah, and speaking to your, uh, you know, your um, conspiracy theories, I think one of the reasons I am into this movie so much is I'm a sucker for, like, a good conspiracy theory. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, they're just fun to read and think about, so that weighs in heavily to, I think, why I like this so much and just, you know, the political message, which I typically don't like political movies, but I think this is done in such a way where it's not so overbearing 
and they're it, not trying to shove it in your face, but you I just know it, it's there. It helps that it's coming from, like, aliens. R- exactly. Because yes. then it's not. Exactly. Yeah. The political side seems to take a back seat in some right. ways. It, it's more like our politicians are just the tool that the aliens are using right. to, to accomplish what they want. It, and it's it just told perfectly. It. Yeah, yeah, it's told perfectly. Yeah, I think it's done so well. So can I play a clip for you guys? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I yeah. got a clip from John Carpenter kind of talking about his uh, – it's it's actually a super cut of a couple clips, so I might just play like a minute or two of it. Sure. Um, mainly because I just want to uh, reference something else. Uh, so I just, <laughs> I just want to play like John Carpenter talking about where his ideas came from. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mute the mics and then I'll uh, play the clip. How dare you? They Live was a movie I made towards the end of the 80s, and I was reflecting on a lot of the values that I saw around me at the time mainly inspired by Ronald Reagan's conservative revolution. There was a great deal of obsession with greed and making a lot of money. And some of the values that I grew up with had been pushed aside. So I decided to scream out in the middle of the night and make a statement about that. And They Live is partially a political statement. It's partially uh, a tract on the world that we live in today. And as a matter of fact, right now, it's even more true than it was then. Uh, we are manipulated by a lot of media around us. We are consumed by consumerism. And uh, as you can see, the recent events in this country, they are still among us. They do live, indeed. The 80s never ended. The Reagan Revolution never ended. Although there is now a pull towards the left. Mm-hmm. I, would, I admit that. The right is, in this country, the right is confused and lost. And, but they may win. They may win, and oh, what they want to do is beyond Reagan. You know, They've moved so far to the right. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really unrestrained capitalism that I'm criticizing. I'm, I'm a capitalist. I love capitalism. I love making money. But unrestrained capitalism is, uh, is, leads to depressions. It leads to the recession that we have. Mm-hmm. So, the 80s never ended. They're still here. They're still on Earth, exploiting us. We just need the glasses. No, we do. More than ever. (laughs) So, the reason I wanted to play that, because I just find it interesting that, like, in the first clip, he's like, you know, there's all this greed and all this everything, which is all 100% true. And I wanted to play the second clip only just because I, I wanted to include the fact that he's like... I'm I love cat. capitalism. Just because, like, anytime you hear, like... I love money. Anytime people ask him, it's like, what do you think about all the new Halloween movies that are being made? There's always a clip somewhere of John Carpenter being like, a magical thing anytime they decide they want to make a new uh, uh, a new Halloween movie. I could pause my video game, put out my hand, and they put a check right in my hand. <laughs> and I was like... So, like, the first clip is, uh, is like, he's, he's going on about, like, you know, all the greed, and it's like... I'm not saying this in a mean way. You fucking love money, John Carpenter. So I'm go- I had to play the second clip to go along with that. Yeah. No, but like, I'll, it's it's interesting. Here's a guy who is you know a self confessed capitalist, and you know, you know, there's also a great story of him talking about he's like screenwriting is the best gig on the planet. He's like because it, he's like. You know, they they give you an advance to write a script, and then I can fuck around for a couple for a couple months, uh, play video games, do whatever the hell I want, and then two weeks before it's due, I'll I'll, I'll bang out a screenplay. I'll call my dealer and I'll bang out a screenplay, and then I turn it in. Sometimes they'll say yes, no, give me notes, and if they like and want me to do a rewrite, then they put another check in my hand, and I repeat the process. So it's like it's interesting. <laughs> 
Yeah, that here's a guy who's very open about the fact that his love for money, where even he's like, this is fucked up what's going on. <laughs> so, like, here's a guy who, like, clearly loves, he loves his money. He loves not having to work very hard for it. Like, that's the fucking dream. Like, anyone who can agree, we want to make money for doing as little work as possible. Um, right. And even he's like, this is fucked up how far this is going. <laughs> oh, I, like, what I was kind of feeling during the second part, because I, I noted the same thing that, that you pointed out but if you look at like socialism right the if if we 180 degrees it in the other direction like i kind of like the idea of socialism i'm a big bernie sanders guy and whenever socialism is criticized it's the super extreme version of it right the the one run by a dictator or an autocrat and people are eating rats and standing in line like (laughs) socialism doesn't that's not Pure, that's not gray area socialism. And he's saying gray area capitalism is fine. It's the extreme capitalism that we're rocketing towards every minute that he has the issue with. It's more of a criticism of extremes than it is like of all of capitalism, which also allows for a more, I think, appropriate and response. Like you don't need as pointed of a stick to say, uh, let's dial it back a few degrees than you would if you're saying this whole system is flawed to begin right, with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes sense totally. Yeah. So like I said, I, I don't really know what I was trying to get off get from those. <laughs> I just thought I just I, when, whenever you can you can get a film like this that very clearly has someone passionately commenting on something i always like when you can hear it from their own from you know hear it from their own mouth just because it's yeah. you know mo- most times you hear it and like okay yeah you're saying everything that i'm i expected to hear you say but sometimes it's not right. so it's like i you know <laughs> I, I I feel like you needed that second clip just because like everything I've ever known about Carpenter is that he fucking loves money and there's nothing wrong necessarily with that but you know if you were just to view this movie and just think of that first clip where he's like oh this unchecked greed without him admitting the fact that he wa- <laughs> likes money himself he would very much seem like a hypocrite so I, a hypocrite so I feel like you you kind of needed both sides of that coin um, so because here's the thing about John Carpenter he's never been one to 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 pull punches he'll fucking say what he's thinking one of my favorite stories about him all comes down to he was producing the remake to the fog that they made back in the early 2000s oh and someone asked him it's like because he's like oh well, you know we wanted to do this because it was a chance to do all these things we couldn't do on the first one yada 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 all that shit and someone said to him was like so why aren't you directing this and he goes because i don't want to. <laughs> simple as that <laughs> I already, I already, I already did, that. did that. What do I need to do it again for? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he is he is just an absolute legend on screen and off screen. That man is that man is just a treasure. He's just living his best rock really, star life. For real. Uh, I love that lately they they've been selling off of his physical media collection. They're like we, we're going through John's collection of VHS tapes. Oh man! Ooh. And like you could buy a box of them oh, from shit. him. I'm I'm never fast enough where I could ever get one, but it's like uh, I just want to I want to get a random collection of shit from John. Car- I don't even care what's in the box. Care. It was his at one point. I don't care. <laughs> what was John Carpenter watching? Why does John Carpenter have five copies of Wayne's World? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm John motherfucking Carpenter. That's why. Because I want five copies. Oh man. <laughs> 
So, Nick, you said you had a, a, a page of stoned notes. Give me some of I these. I do. Okay, let's um, talk about the homeless camp a bit. Um, that seemed like a nice little setup they had there. Until, it, the, you know, well, until the police came and ruined yeah, it. it. Here's the... Th- like, think about every depiction of a homeless camp you've seen on TV or in film. Pottersville. Has it ever been so pastoral? Like, it was clean... Motherfuckers had clean ass white socks on, and they were, you know, uh, they all had decent looking clothes. There, and there, there, was, there was a specific moment too, like when they're in the chow line, and yeah, they came. Roddy's up there, and he's smiling. He's he's got to have a good fucking meal, and they're like, "You want peas?" And he goes, "Yeah." And she's like, "You want more?" He goes, "Yeah." <laughs> it's like they have enough where people they can give extra. It's it's communal living, socialist. It's like everybody pitches together to make. Like, it was, that was another part of the, like, uh, this, this homeless camp was presented in a way that made them the, the heroes and the sympathetic characters, um, when 99% of the time, that's like, you're going into the dangerous, like, more chaotic part of the world, right? The, the, the dirty underbelly, but here it was like, this is heaven, this homeless camp where everybody works together to support one another. Yeah, uh, it was really cool to see that particular element. Yeah, and of then, this like narrative. even even little things like when they said of Piper, it's like, oh, what's in the bag? Tools? And it's like, yeah, it's like if you know how to use them, you could be of great help. The showers yep. fall, caving in. So like, you all have a fucking shower, <laughs> yep. an indoor shower that happens to be caving in. Like, fuck, this seems nice. Like a good place to be. It, it was a really important contrast to capitalism when when capitalism is your villain in the film like it was important to set up this camp the way that they did yeah i feel like it was uh the society there and the culture there was almost more normal than everything going on in the city and it was like juxtaposition of like look how together these people are as opposed to the city where everyone just seems to be at odds and ends with each other i like the i just like how they did that it's crazy. To further... Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, the more I'm just thinking about this movie and then our next one, RoboCop, like, there's just so many, like... Parallels. Parallels. So I, yeah. I'm a, yeah, anyways, continue, Nick. Um, even something that I noticed, and at first I kind of thought of it as um, the John Carpenter doing a lot with a little thing, mm-hmm. um, making a much bigger film than he probably had the budget for, and that's why some of it feels a little off or cheesy. Uh, but I could draw a stronger point from it now that we're having this part of the conversation. So when he falls, well, when he's looking for that box of sunglasses and goes into the garbage truck to find them, like that is the cleanest fucking inside of a garbage truck. Uh, yeah, I've, it's all cardboard and like. And I, I, I just kept thinking. Am, of Amanda paper. kept Amanda kept mentioning is like, why would you hide the glasses in a garbage truck in a garbage can? <laughs> They're and then, gonna come and, for it. I know. She's like, that's what garbage men do. They pick up garbage. <laughs> Garbage I also land on a garbage. That, 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 that scene is funny to me too. When he's like in the gar- and like it starts coming up, and he goes whoa, and they make it out to be like a big thing. But he like he just kind of has a gentle yeah, he just kind of slides. Like, oh, it's so bad. <laughs> it's like oh, that's fine. You're not even dirty. He's, I don't I don't remember what he said, but it was something like oh shit. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just like oh, here we go. But and I I can't say that this was intentional, but I can pontificate that like you could based on this again this pastoral clean 
homeless camp, like, even as somebody who has to root around in the trash is still clean, right. you know, you can, you can well, continue that, 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 that metaphor was, out. That was such a nice and, like, tidy, like, little encampment that, like, even after, like, the bulldozer came and got rid of it all, like, the next time we're there, it's completely cleaned out and empty. Yeah. I'm like, man, there's not even, like, a hint. It's like the Grinch just came and took everything. Put it in a big sack and just took <laughs> it away. There's not even a crumb. <laughs> even their last can of hoo ash. <laughs> But then, like, it also is, it's interesting, too, like, uh, you know, so uh, Keith David takes Rowdy Piper's character to this place, and they just welcome him with, yeah, with, yep. with open arms. And then, like... They and, didn't ask, what can you do from us right off the bat? They said, you're welcome yeah. here. Yeah, and then you have, like, George Buck Flowers' character, who eventually, like, is a traitor to yeah. them and joins the other group. And it's, like, he, he made reference in talking about, like, how how hard he's worked to get to this point. Um, but it's like, well, you were welcome with open arms to this, to this other encampment. And you just took that for granted because it wasn't what you felt like you wanted or deserved. Yeah. Still chasing more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk thrill house moments because okay. I actually, a lot of times when you ask what my thrill house moment was, I have to go back and, and think about it. But I knew the moment that I was locked into this film. Thrill House! Mom, we're swearing! So shortly after we see the world through the glasses for the first time, I wasn't sold yet. I was excited. I was having a good time. Um, but I'm still processing that. We're seeing the signs. We see the money that says, this is your God. And I'm like, oh shit, this is like, that, that pushed me three quarters of the way there. And then what finally sealed it, the official Thrill House moment, was shortly after we see the This Is Your God on the money, we see one of our first, I don't think it's the first, but one of the first creatures, and it's a middle-aged woman, fancily dressed, with a freaky, kind of zombie alien face, and she's like being handed grocery bags and putting them in her trunk and just yapping away nonsensically about something. Watching that woman... Going with her crazy makeup, acting like a totally normal person, that was the thrill okay. house moment for me. That was the first time we saw this, like, oh yeah, and I'm just, and I gotta get and pick up the kids and do 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 but with the alien face. Yeah. Thrill house moment. Honestly, I think, I feel like mine's gonna be right around the same point. Like, I was, I'm not gonna lie, if I'm being completely fucking honest, the second that Rowdy Roddy Piper showed up on screen with the, that fucking bluesy ass oh, yeah. score and shit, I was pretty much sold right away. <laughs> but, like, if I had to be, like, real, like, when I was sold in on the movie, not just the fact that I fucking love watching Rowdy Roddy Piper beat the shit out of people, um, was probably around the same time was when he first started putting the glasses on and, you know, the world started to reveal itself. But I feel like him in that grocery store when he, he has that line is like, it looks like your face fell in the cheese dip back in 1957. <laughs> like that whole little bit is like, and he's like, especially when he turns to that one woman, he's like, you're all right, but you're right. ugly. <laughs> that whole little yeah, bit. That was good. And then you got, we've got one who can see. And I'm like, oh, shit. It's not. Because at first I was like, well, maybe they're just like, you know, the people that's... who have been so consumed by greed and everything. Maybe that's just how they look. It's like then when they start talking to their watch, like, oh, no, conspiracy. It's intentional. Yeah. Yeah. So, so seeing Rowdy Roddy Piper initially in the film, that was your thrill ho moment. Yeah, my thrill, thrill ho, ho moment. moment. Okay. <laughs> Where you are almost there. <laughs> yeah. But then, like, got the rest of it. 
Mm. Chef's kiss. It was delicious. Um, All right. Awesome. I've got, so it's actually just rich. I think it's right after Nixon. It's right after yours. It's right in that sequence as he gets the glasses. Because once the lady talks into her little thing, we've got one. You can see you're like, my, you know, your senses go up. You're like, oh, okay. So this is a little bit deeper than, like you said, just greed or something. But for me, it's when he has the glasses on and the cops come up. And they're also aliens. I was like, oh, so everything is off the table at this point. Like, yeah. <laughs> it goes it all goes the way to all the, the way. I was like, oh, shit. It's not just regular people. It's a conspiracy. Cops are involved now. I was like, okay, this changed everything. So it was when he had the interaction with the cops. I was like, yep. Yeah. I was like, okay. And that was a big piece to kind of that thing I briefly mentioned before where you can feel the city closing in around yes. his character. Like, there's nowhere to escape. It's because... The police right. are in on it, and the politicians, and the media companies. Yeah, like, people on everywhere. TV, that guy that was talking with the obey sign behind him. You're like, this is going yep. very, it's going uphill, like, real quick, or downhill real quickly. Like, yeah. yeah. To, to the point where we couldn't even expect him, like, I liked, and here comes the spoiler alerts, um, how it didn't end by him winning over everybody all he did was sacrifice himself to reveal yeah exactly and that was the conclusion of the film it wasn't they didn't pack up and leave it wasn't over it was just the reveal kind of actually reminded me a lot i could see it having been an influence of the matrix i was actually saying that through when when we were watching this i was like man does this make sense that this at times feels kind of like the Matrix by way of the Terminator? Yeah. Yeah, like, you you realize that this life that you're living is manufactured yeah, and like, fake, and then you're the one that takes the blue pill yeah. or the red pill, I don't remember which one, and now you're part of a small resistance army fighting yeah. something way too big and to I, actually I, win against. I, I, I can't believe there's not a world in which the Wachowskis haven't seen they live. Yeah. Right. But it, then there's, there's that great scene in the Matrix, actually, where he's like... Talk, uh, where uh, Joe Pantoliano's character is talking to uh, Agent Smith, and he's like, I know this steak's not real. He's like, I know that every bite I take is just sending yep. shockwaves <laughs> through my brain, but God damn it, am I not enjoying yeah. it. It's like, yep. it's like, here's a guy who would much rather live never having seen through the glasses and right. just live this fake existence. And it's just so cr- And uh, let's be real. I feel like a lot of us probably would have done the same oh, thing. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's why the conversation is so apt and truthful. Like, if you were presented with that situation, you can't tell me that part of you doesn't like go, I don't know. <laughs> I'd kind of rather eat the steak and not know what's going 100%. on. hundred percent. Right? E- even if your, your integrity and your morality goes, but this is the right thing to do. Like you want that steak still. Yeah. You still want to <laughs> <Yeah>. enjoy that. <laughs> I'd rather not know. <laughs> yeah. Like it's honestly, Joe Pantoliano's character is, the drifter character the george buck flower character who in the yep. end it's like yeah they're gonna win gonna anyway soon anyways might as well have a good time before we go and <laughs> i was like you know it's like it's hard to hate on the guy because i can't imagine if you saw what this world is really like that you wouldn't be like man i don't want this anymore oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah so yeah, that, that, that we have. It's funny. Our thrill house moment are like almost all like within well, yeah, within yeah, within a grouping yeah. because yeah, that's just where the movie just escalates so that, quickly. It's right. The like the intro into the second act is a fucking changes the film. I mean, it's what the film is about. But like, usually there's a smoother arc 
from first act into second act. Like, this one, like, <laughs> exponentially just rocketed it up. Like, oh, this is yeah. not the movie I thought it was going to yeah, be. And then you have the crazy third act where they're shooting guns and getting chased and going into these little, like, wormholes in the ground. And you're just like, it's like it's like a perfect uh, three-act uh, structure. It, it, you're like, this is, this is perfect. And then, and we just have to fucking talk about it eventually. That fucking six-minute fight scene. Yeah. In the <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yep. I think. Why? Go ahead, Nick. Again, like, first off, Roddy Piper's acting, not just his fight acting, but, like, his performance was better than it was in any of the rest of the film during that. It was like, okay, this is my comfort zone. I'm I'm in my element. Um, And, again, Keith David, like, you put any other actor in either of those two roles, and this fight scene feels as weird as it should have felt. It, but it's one of those things they like, made it work because like, uh john carpenter said he wants this to feel like an old school john wayne fist fight you yeah know, that was his goal <laughs> but with a vader bomb or vader <laughs> you know the, the <laughs> yeah i don't remember john wayne doing that <laughs> he would have if he could have right. god damn it uh but like what i found so appealing about that fight scene was like i kind of knew everyone said that all oh, it's got the longest fight scene ever and so i kind of knew what to expect but what i thought it did so well is because i i sometimes just get bored of fight scenes like that's almost the reason i didn't like the raid so much it's just because it's like oh this is just one another hour, fight scene uh, an <laughs> hour and a long fight scene this one felt like one had a purpose because it was roddy roddy piper trying to be like you have to put these fucking glasses on yes and Keith You're, David being like, "Fuck no, bro! Like you, yep. you just killed a bunch of people." Because right now, Keith David is in a fight or flight situation. He feels for him. That's why he came and gives him that money. But he's at very arm's length with him. Uh, but like when the f- f- a fight scene first started happening, I was like, "Oh, that was an enjoyable f- fight." Every time I thought the fight scene was over, it would <laughs> kind of pick up again. Yeah. And but that was one, that was one of the fight choreographers thought of that. It's like we can't just have these guys. Apparently, John Carpenter knew he wanted an excessively long fight scene in this movie. And one of the fight choreographers is like, we can't just have them beating the shit out of each other for six minutes straight. They, they wouldn't be able to walk away Here, from Hold this. my beer. We need, to have, <laughs> we need to have them fighting over something, and we need there to be breaks in this fight. The the states made it. I, I take back what I said about the actors while it was still important. The states is what made it work but my favorite part about this fight scene is i hate fight you have like a big fight scene in the movie and then afterwards they'll have like a little bit of like something right here <laughs> like they walk into that fucking hotel afterwards and they have had the shit oh, yeah. beat out of them i think that i almost i wondered at that point if roddy's wasn't actually makeup but like <laughs> he actually like because as a wrestler he's somebody who doesn't mind getting knocked around a lot and it looked really real. Well, some of it, so like a lot of times when these wrestlers are, especially the old school wrestlers are in movies, they have to put a lot of makeup on their forehead because, you know, it, when you when you need to bleed in a wrestling match, what they do is they take a little fucking razor blade and just do a little line along their, their ah. forehead uh, so that way it bleeds out. So a lot of, if you look up, look up any wrestler's mugshot, <laughs> look up Ric Flair's mugshot, you'll see his head looks like fucking, like, uh, like ground oh my beef. god so like Ugh. there was time so they use a lot of makeup to kind of hide that a little bit you know look you try, you try usually try to do it around your hairline so it's a little easier to hide but sometimes if you're in the heat of the moment you just kind of like get wherever yeah <laughs> roddy piper's head kind of at times where it's like did they just take the makeup off because it was like protrude a little yeah. bit it was really red and maybe it was just really good makeup but i kept thinking it was like I wouldn't be surprised. It it looked like less makeup yeah. somehow. Yeah. yeah, so it's like I wonder if that's just what his head looks 
Yeah, that fight scene. Uh, has... Like seriously, if you if when when you guys know the show, if you look at, look at pro wrestlers. Uh, blade foreheads, you'll see some fucking shit. See some things. They'll stick with me forever. You'll see some shit. Can't unsee that. Yeah. Like, like Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair, too, that come to mind. Interesting. <laughs> I had no idea about that. Uh, what were you going to say, Austin? Oh, the uh, the fight scene. So it has uh, one of my favorite lines besides the iconic, you know, bubblegum line. But he's like, <laughs> I'm giving you a choice. You either put these glasses on or you're going to eat trash. And I was like, yes, I love that line. <laughs> You're gonna you're gonna and eat like, that trash so, can. There's so many goofy lines in this movie <laughs> that work because they're being delivered by right, Roddy. Right. Yeah. Yes. Like yeah. weird enough, I think that line would have felt very written. Yeah. If like if uh, Kurt Russell had said it, or like Kurt Russell would have found a different way to say the bubblegum and kick ass line. But I don't know if it would have worked as it well. It so perfectly being said Roddy. by a real actor. Yeah. <laughs> it works so perfectly with him. Yeah. yeah. I. I also liked how much um, strength, both physical and of character, that Keith David's character had in that fight. Mm -hmm. Like, it's easy to, like, you're not the protagonist, so you're just somebody for the hero to beat up. Right. But they, um, especially in a time where there weren't as many conversations about token minority characters you know and as this second in command kind of like okay you're my the the robin to my batman kind of dynamic that they had i was impressed with how much um character the story gave to his role like to to that part and it really showed in that fight scene where he said so many times Fuck you! I'm not going to do what you say just because you tell me to do it. You're crazy. I have a wife and kid. Like he didn't want to get involved. He wasn't just a yeah. Prop. He's like your yeah, shit is your shit. My shit is my prop. shit. Let's not get involved. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do it. And, and and I will knock you out if I have to to stop you from doing it. Even though like, but the the amount of times that it stopped and he kind of won and then it switched the other way, but he held right. on and turned it like that gave his character a lot more weight on screen. Yeah. And then I really I, it's also it. says a lot about his character too, by the fact that like Piper came to the work site and he's like, get the fuck out of here. I don't want to deal with you. <laughs> but then he came and found him later on and gave him some of his hard earned yeah. money. Yes. I don't imagine this was, is what's fair. Right. Yeah. Which, I don't imagine again, it was any of the money that, because I'm sure that, that, that the boss of that place is like, fuck this guy. I'm not paying right. him. So I'm sure Keith David took what little money he had and gave it to P- Piper because he thought I can't in good consciousness leave this guy when I can tell, even though he seems fucking crazy <laughs> that he's dealing with something right now, which is a direct, um, like it, it's particularly heroic given the messaging of the film being everybody fight for your own, you get yours, this is capitalism, get as much money as you can. He's like, nope, the right thing is you worked for that money, here right. it is. Even though I could just take this and be richer because of it, you earned it and even though you're crazy... It just shows it he is. has good morals, like that, you know, like he's a, he's a yes. solid, actual nice person. Instead of instead of yeah, and in any other movie that wouldn't have mattered as much, but in this film with that message, that made yeah, because everyone you know is greedy, and you know he's the one being a decent human being by like here, let me yeah. be, let me do the right thing here, specifically with 
Right. Money. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The, the this is your god. You know. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. All right. Nick, um, what else you got for notes? Um, or we pretty much exhausted through them. Now, now it's more of like the random stoner <laughs> thoughts. Uh, well, hell yeah, those are always uh, the best. I also really enjoyed comparing this film to Mars Attacks. Like it's, <laughs> I can see it. Like it's not all the way there because again, the the aliens are very hidden in this. Where in Mars Attacks, it's very forward. But that like action comedy with aliens blockbuster thing. Yeah. Uh, kind of worked. Um, I really liked the line uh, that the the guy that um, was in the camp and then became one of the the ones that would get rich. George you know, Buckflower. Uh, his line: "It's just business. We all sell out every day." <laughs> yeah, um, me and Amanda were both like. No, I didn't have that. I'm like, yeah, he makes it's a lot. Like he, makes, he makes a lot of sense, man. Yep. Imagine Stone Nick's just sitting there, like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa. Um, Stone Nick also thought, uh, "Wow, Carpenter isn't afraid of a body count." No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, <laughs> just mowing people, dropping. Yeah. Uh, ah, it's all, they're aliens. It's fine, but at the same you, time, Carpenter like. He, he was very clear to show that Roddy Piper has, you know, he's not just going to mow you down because you're helping this system. Like that one cop, he told, he let leave because he was a normal yes. human yeah. or yeah. like he was, unless they're directly trying to kill him. He was specifically like, even when they're like exiting, like they had that siege scene when they're all leaving their um, fucking uh, like their, their little base of operations. He was specifically aiming for, the, the yeah, that's that's actually yes. where I'm at right now. Uh, on and the, yeah, he's running nice. now, and he's like, people are putting their hands up that aren't you know the aliens, and he's just yeah, he's letting them go. And I also love how they get the contacts towards the end of the movie too, so they yeah. don't have to, so they yeah. can blend in more and just have you know they don't have to put the glasses on; they just get the contacts. That was a really cool little oh, we've upgraded. Here you go. And you're like oh, sweet, okay. It's also clear that neither of those two actors had ever put contacts in, nor did anybody on the film try and <laughs> teach them how. They're like, just like, yeah, like, <laughs> as someone who wears contacts, like y'all are doing this wrong. But actually, my exact thing I said to Amanda is like, it gets easier, <laughs> right? <laughs> More uh, you do it, it gets easier. I remember my first contacts. <laughs> um, I said that one. Said that one. Some surprisingly good cinematography. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's the shot at dawn of him walking down the bridge that I was like, oh fuck, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, like this movie had a good cinematography. He was he was a constant uh, collaborator with with um, with John Carpenter. It's uh, Gary B. Kibbe. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. It's K I B B E. So maybe it's Kib. Uh, also shot Prince of Darkness. He shot RoboCop three, uh, Double Dragon, In the Mouth of Madness, Village of the Damned, Escape from L A, Vampires, Ghosts of Mars, and The Librarian. Oh wow! Okay. okay. And it looks like he also did some stuff for uh, uh, Tales from the Crypt. Okay. Um, did you guys notice the communication devices that the creatures used? The watches? No, the nope. other things. They're the uh, it's the thing from Ghostbusters. The um. The oh Peter yes, Peter. I did want to mention yeah, that. Yeah, I, yeah, was same like, thing. I was like, what do I know that same from? Prop, yeah. yeah. And I looked it up as like I was like, I feel like it's from Ghostbusters. And I just randomly googled Ghostbusters tech, yeah. and that was like one of the first. Things yeah, that came yeah, up. Like, yeah, that thing. <laughs> no, I knew it immediately. <laughs> like, he pulled it up. I'm like, why are they looking yeah, for like, ghosts what? right now? I thought these were aliens. <laughs> <What the> hell. <laughs> 
Um, this one I'll also share just because I think you'll all appreciate, like, imagining stoned me thinking <laughs> this. So I will read it verbatim. Oh, yes. um, perfect. As to what I wrote. Uh, where did it go? Holy shit! Three exclamation marks. She threw him through the window. <laughs> Not only threw him through the window, smacked him over the head of a bottle, and then he leaped like, through. <laughs> It, it it came so un like I did not see that scene going that direction. Yeah. I was like, man, Meg Fox is the bad. Amanda just said, even though Roddy Piper's the hero, which is Amanda just said without thinking about it, good for her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And I like how they kind of they let her reveal of the information. It didn't have to be a cutaway scene of her going, okay, I'll try and put him on. She was just in the meeting. It's like okay. You figured it out. Yeah. Like, yeah. it was just a look. That's all it needed to be. They didn't overcomplicate yeah. it. But then it made her betrayal at the end even <gasps> more. When she killed Keith David, I was like, oh. <laughs> that was a little unceremonious, too. Like, they didn't, they never really came back to that. It was just like, yep, now he's dead. Well, <laughs> Piper never found out. What? Right? What did Piper never find? Yeah. He never fu- Piper never found out that in the movie, like his character never found out that Keith David's character. Oh died. yeah, that's be- yeah. He was on yeah the because roof. he was on the roof with uh, Meg Foster, who was the traitor. Um, and then you're- God damn it, Meg! Foster. I know, and you're like, you're like, <laughs> what the hell? And then you realize like, she's working with the alien race. And, you know, she's like, don't destroy it. Like you, you can't win. And then he does it, it anyways just and just like, flicks her yeah. off. I was like, yes, it was just like peak peak eighties moment right there. Um, and then the only other thought that I have uh, was I really enjoyed how they styled like the design behind uh, the like glasses view, mm-hmm. uh, where it kind of felt like almost noir, yeah. um, but with that like fifties sci-fi anchoring. I wasn't expecting it to like go full on fifties sci-fi movie when you put those on. And again, like it's. You never see the danger, per se. You never see them attacking. You never see them, you know, all it is, like, the the scary thing is the manipulation and control. And that's all you ever see. And that's, the control is what's so scary. Yeah. Yeah. And I like how you don't see any of the aliens actually, like, in color until, you know, all has been revealed and then you're just like everyone's losing their mind and tell me if i'm far off here but i got similar vibes with the ending like halloween 3 when at the end of halloween he's on the phone it's like stop stop and you don't know if it got stopped and in this one everyone's revealed and it's like you don't know what's going to happen with all those people i kind of just got similar beats from from the ending of this and halloween 3 It's it's another conspiracy. Exactly, it's yeah. yeah. The, this infiltration of society right. story. Uh, where in They Live, it has already happened. Mm-hmm. You're already in the Matrix. Where Halloween 3, you're a part of... You're, you're watching the machine Yeah, the production line and, almost. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, totally. No, absolutely okay. cool, parallels cool. Just making sure. with how those stories are nice, developed. Nice, <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Fuck yeah. I don't really have anything else to add, but that was a nice little cherry on top of that. (laughs) So, yes, I really enjoyed They Live. Um, 
it's one of those where I actually rated it higher than I would have. Like the the intent behind it, the messaging, the themes, and the story elevated it beyond the production value. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and even without that, it's still a fun movie. So like. Ordinarily, a film like that would be kind of a three star for me, and it bumped it up to a four star because I loved that. Like, that's my sweet spot right there is those that kind of theme play, uh, which this movie is sick with. So um, it really boosted it up. Yeah, for me, I think I gave it a, I gave it a three and a half, but it's definitely I feel like one it's going to be one of those films that the more I watch, it's just going to kind of slowly just eat it up a little bit tr- more, trickle each up time. a little well, bit. I'm on the I'm on the other end of that because um, the last time I rated it. It was a four. It's a four and a half for me now. But the first couple times I'd watch it and rated it, it was about a three five. Then it went to a four, and now it's a four. And now it's a four five. And I'm like, it's just one of my nice. favorites. I just adore <laughs> it. Just keeps going yeah, up. It just keeps going yeah, up. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that too. Because like, like, here's the thing too. Like for like, because I I feel like especially in the world of, of rating films, especially in something like Letterboxd, people see like. You give a movie three stars. I'm like, what? Did you not like it? It's like, no, it's still a good fucking movie, yeah, guys. Three like, is still a, still a like, solid rating. <laughs> yeah. So it's, but I also don't think there's anything wrong with like, just you know, your opinions change. You enjoy things more than the next time. Yeah. And that's perfectly well, fine. And don't we all, as as artists, as creators, want to create something that sticks with people? And yeah. if you can create something that increases its value over time to people, like those are all of my favorite films are ones that the first time I saw it, I did not appreciate it or value it to the point that I do today. Yep. Yeah. Right? That the more you watch it, the more you think about it, the more you interact with it, the better it gets. That is peak artistic expression, in my opinion. 100%. Yeah. Especially for a movie that's so from like, 1988, you know what I mean? It's not like it's a new, yeah. it's not <laughs> right. like it's a it's new movie. Feather hair, yeah. machine guns. It's not like it's brand new, and you're like, oh, I like this more and more. No, this is like a 30-something-year-old movie, and it's just like, yeah, the the uh, rewatchability is just it's so good, and you end up appreciating it more and more over time. That's a movie that has stood the test of time for sure. Yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, and I guess I, one thing I will say is, um, you know, if those of you listening. If you like this movie, let us know what you thought. Yeah. You know, reach out to us. Everyone but Nick. (laughs) You tell me what you want me to tell Nick. Well, Nick's not on social media, so you guys got to reach out to me, and then I'll tell it to Nick. They can mail me if they can find my address. I'll I'll John Waters it and just, like, email the game shop nearby, and I'll pick up my mail there. There you go. (laughs) Very nice. All right. Was there anything else you guys want to talk about They Live before we wrap up? I don't think so. I think I hit all of my notes. Yeah, if you haven't Austin? seen it, just just do what it, it's on Peacock right now, streaming. So if you if you have Peacock, go check it out. If you have not seen you, it, you need the premium. Yes, you do need premium. Version. Yes, but uh, I have I have the free version. Yeah. so I, I, I have it. it because Austin sent me a copy. Yeah, well, yeah, and I have the 4K. But if you don't have to own it and you haven't seen it, Peacock Premium has it. Definitely just go check that out. It's it's you will not be disappointed. But yeah, I hit all my points all as right. well. All right, then I think just on our way out, I'm just gonna before I before I, before we just end this show completely, um, I'm just gonna slowly trickle in the sounds of John Carpenter playing the They Live theme music live. Keep it low in the background, and uh, Austin, tell everyone where they can find you. 
Alrighty, Frightmares Podcast. We are on Facebook at Just Frightmares. We've got Instagram and Slasher app at Frightmares Podcast. Twitter, Frightmares underscore pod. And then our uh, email is spooky at Outlook.com. Podcast is out weekly on Fridays, uh, and it is on pretty much every platform you can find it on. So go check us out. If you want to find me, you can write an old-style letter to the Avalon Theater at 40 East Dover Street, Easton, Maryland, 21601. All right. And if you ever are ever are in Easton, Maryland, go say hi to Nick, but then also yeah. go down to Rise Up Coffee, because they're pretty fucking legit. <laughs> I, I'm drinking some right now. <laughs> oh, also, I am Dr. Proctor on Letterboxd if you want to give me a follow. But it's like, it's like one of those is a, one of those O's is a, is a zero, I think. And... No, that's my Instagram. Dr. Yeah, oh. Dr. Proctor, just regular on, uh, on uh, Letterboxd if you want to give me a follow. I follow everybody back that I can, so... I am on Letterboxd, and I will note, Austin, I have been using it a bit more since the last nice. time. You, when you looked and you're like, you haven't watched anything this year. I'm like, well, I have. I just haven't told anybody. Um, Amanda says she wants some Rise Up coffee. Mm, coffee. Yeah, girl. It's coffee. so good. Uh, and then my name is Michael Byers. I'm pretty much everywhere you can find me. I, I do a lot of the posting for the Shameless Picture Show. Nick does help with that one, though. Uh, you can find uh, me at, um, I think it's just Michael Vyers or Michael underscore Vyers, pretty much everywhere. Uh, and then you can find us at uh, Shameless Picture Show and pretty much everything. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter, though I don't use it very often because that still confuses me. Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, and then uh, if you want to check out some of the shit I've made, since I'm a filmmaker as well, I've uploaded all of my films to YouTube. Awesome. Very so nice. There, uh, you can find, just search Michael Vyers and you can find all my films there. I'll have a new music video coming out soon for the directionals and a new film hopefully coming very soon. Woo-hoo. Very excited. Yeah. Very excited for that. Uh, I'd just like to say, catch us next time. Say it. How did we decide we were going uh, to do this? Sh- shame time. Shame time. Shame, shame channel. Shame, <laughs> shame station. Something same. like that. We'll figure it out. We'll work it out. We'll work out the kinks. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye. The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Easton, Maryland, and is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Byers. Today's episode was edited by Nick Richards. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration by Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed. The shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.